Good morning. You know, this morning I just kind of feel like um, I just want to stop and, and uh, just pray again, if we can do that. Just ask the Lord to open our hearts to the Word. Father, Lord, we just uh, we pause before you. Um, we know what you've been speaking to me about. Um, Lord, and I just very simply today want to share something that we all need to hear. And maybe for some it is a, it is a great struggle. For others it's um, just an ongoing thing. But Lord, um, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would uh, speak to each one in a powerful way, Lord. Reminding them of truth um, and cutting through all of the stuff and uh, once again helping us to see what is real and what is true. So Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, Reset, we kind of jumped into this series about um, a new start, Um, the scriptures are full of this idea that God loves a new start. God is more than willing to give us a new start. He um, delights in us making new starts. In fact, the idea of His grace is it's obvious that um, He is more than happy and more than willing to work with us in resetting maybe your whole life, But even I would say as he speaks to us about different areas of our lives, it's very clear that being able to reach over and push the reset button on that area of our life is something that God um, is more than willing and delights in being able to help us do, enable us to do that. So we've talked about resetting our heart. We've talked about resetting our faith. Today I want to just talk about something that, um, I don't know, man, I just really feel the weight of this this morning, and I feel the weight because I've got a lot of stuff, but I, I want to be very simple, and that is reset my identity, reset my identity. Um, I feel like I've already touched on this subject a number of times just in the short time that I've been here, and I think that's uh, intentional, and it's also the way that God uh, leads uh, where we need to be because our identity is a, um, it's a powerful thing. It answers the question, or asks the question, who am I? Who am I? All of us today have a, an image of ourselves. A, a uh, picture of, of who we are. Um, I thought it was interesting as I 
just thought about this word identity. Um, I went to psychology today. It's kind of a popular website. Um, I'm not saying it's um, uh, has a lot of uh, has it's a uh, a site that I would agree with everything on it, but I definitely reference it quite a bit in looking at at um, you know things like this and um, just researching identity on there. This is what Psychology Today would say: Identity relates to our basic values that dictate the choices we make. These choices reflect who we are and what we value. In other words, they understand that asking this question, who am I, carries with it then the whole weight of uh, what we value and out of what we value, then the choices we'll make. In other words, it's pretty apparent that an investment banker is someone who would value money. That's who he is. That's what he does with his life. Or a college professor values education and helping students. Again, as you read down through there, you can find that a person can hold multiple identities, such as a teacher, father, or friend. And it continues on, and you would expect it to go in this area, but I think there's some validity to it. Identity may be acquired indirectly from our parents, our peers, and other role models. Children come to define themselves in terms of how they think their parents see them. This is at work very young. That's why it's a whole other subject. That is why as parents, wow. If their parents see them as worthless, they will come to define themselves as worthless. People who perceive themselves as likable may remember more positive than negative statements. And I would just remind you today that asking the question and then answering the question in your heart, who am I, is a foundational part of who you are as a person. Today, maybe I'm talking to people that when you think about who you are, who am I, you quickly go to things like the successes that you've maybe had in your life, maybe in your career. Um, that's how you define yourself. When you think about who am I, those things are what come immediately to your mind. Maybe as you ask this question and your mind begins to self-identify, you think about mistakes that you've made and what your life could have been or should be. But because of mistakes you've made, that's how you inherently you see yourself. It's a part of your identity. Maybe it's your resume uh, or maybe the relationships that you have, what you've accomplished or what you have acquired. Maybe today when you think about who am I, you define yourselves by your desires. Your such strong desires that it leads your life. And when you think about who am I, you think I'm a person that really, really wants this or is really, really into this. Maybe even today some of you would define your life or see yourself, who am I, by the suffering that your life has already had. That maybe you have been a victim of a lot of different things. And that just clouds your whole perception of yourself. And it is key in your identity of who you are. I am this because this has happened to me. Or maybe your identity has come from what others have called you. Maybe you've, you know. And see what we do is we take 
We take our image, our identity, and then we put names and labels on it. And we live with, with labels, right? I've been thinking about labels. You know, I should have got one for all of us, but hello, my name is, right? Or my name is the label thing. And I've been thinking about if I gave you one of those and I said, you cannot put your name. You must write something else in there. How would you identify yourself? Um, In fact, we're going to try this. Some of you will participate. But I'm interested because I'm going to share a minute what kind of goes through my mind, but I would like for as many of you would as to, to share. Uh, there's a number up there you can text, 419-785-6162. Text me some labels. And I've been thinking about it in my own personal life. Um, and you've already, you already know this about me too, right? I'm a half, a glass half empty guy, all right? Um, don't believe me, just ask my wife. I am. I, I, I see what could. And so that, that does affect even my identity. And I would be able to put in that blank, my name is, and I've been thinking about this, probably one of those names I could put in, label I could put in there is Inadequate. Inadequate. Never feel like it's good enough. Never feel like I'm good enough. Never feel like it was done as well as it could be. Inadequate. I've been thinking about this. I think I could probably take another thing and put it over here and put performance-oriented My identity sometimes is so tied in or can be so tied in to performance. For some, labels could be very quickly failure. Maybe for some it's average. Honestly, when you think about yourself, you just think average, vanilla, one of many, just in the row, in the line, just average. I'm already getting texts here. Look at this. Invisible unsatisfied, people-pleaser, unworthy, outsider. See, we live with labels. Labels come from the identity we, we have of ourself, the image we have of ourself, and we give ourselves labels. And they're powerful. They are powerful things. 
Again, psychology today recognizes this from the science of, of our, our, our minds that how we see ourselves creates the things we value and the things we value then create what we do and how we live. The scriptures have always recognized that. I just want to talk to you today about where are you at with your identity? What labels are you writing? Do you have? If we could be completely transparent, completely open, what labels have you given yourself? For some, you identify with hardworking, responsible. These are just core to how you see yourself. It's the things you value, and that's who you, that's who you are, that's who you want to be, and those are the things that dictate then your choices you make. But I want to remind you that our identity is an unbelievably core thing to who we are. And the labels we live with affect our whole lives. People who might be labeled as failures see themselves as failure, label themselves as failure, will be unwilling to try new things, live comfortable because to try a new thing opens up the possibility of it failing. And because I already see myself as a failure, I'm more inclined to think that if I try something new, I'll just confirm who I already think I am. People who are, are, um, see themselves as, as weak won't ask for respect. People who see themselves as unloved won't seek love in positive places. Anxious. Somebody sees themselves as a mom. Modern. Two people pleasers. Unsure. Lost. Struggling. Laid back. Overwhelmed. Friendly. Kind. Unseen. These are just labels that you could, you've written already today that are represented here. And I just want to remind you of some things today that I hope either helps us reset our identity or confirms where your identity needs to stay. Because I think this is a, th- a powerful thing we need to be reminded of. And it's very simple today. I would remind you, though, the longer you carry a label, the less it describes your past and the more it determines your future. The longer you carry that label, or as you, whatever label you have, and if you keep it up, it won't just be something that's a label of past behavior, it becomes something that's determinative of future action. And so I just want to remind you, so many of us live labeled from different things. Some of us live labeled from past mistakes. Literally, our lives are a tale of regret. And we kick ourselves because I didn't take that step. I didn't risk that thing. I shouldn't have done that at that time. I blew it right there. And so often, because of past mistakes, we carry labels of failure and regret 
I'm always reminded uh, of this story. I, I'm just blown away by this story. It's the story of this, this guy who, in the 1940s, played football at the University of Texas. Now, this guy ended up being, and I think today still is, the all-time interception leader at the University of Texas. All right, this is 70-something years later. He still holds the record for most interceptions. This guy has appeared on Life magazine, on the cover of Life magazine. This guy played in the NFL and had a successful NFL career. He fought in World War II. He became a father and a grandfather. Yet this guy thinks about one thing every day. Noble Doss was a wide receiver for the University of Texas. And in 1941, they had a chance to play in the Rose Bowl, national championship season. They're winning seven to nothing, and they call a play. They're going to throw the ball to Doss. He gets open. He's going to catch the ball. He's going to score, and that's going to seal the game, and he drops a pass. The team they were playing, Baylor, ends up getting the ball, taking it in, tying the score, and tying the game, and costing Texas a chance to play in the Rose Bowl. And Noble Doss, this happened in 1941, was interviewed a few years ago, years and years later, and still cries and thinks about the day he dropped that pass. His words, I think about it every day. Every day. That's human nature. That's what we tend to do so often. We allow past mistakes to just stick with us. And they become labels on who we are. It's like how many of you, you, you do a, a performance review or a job review and your boss would say, oh, you've done 23 things well. But here's one or two things that are opportunities for growth. Right? Ever heard that phrase? Opportunities for growth? <laughs> so, and you walk out of there and your job performance review is good You're doing lots of things well, and what do you sit there and obsess about and think about? Those opportunities for growth. See, we end up living labeled so often because of our past mistakes. And it becomes a part of how we see ourselves. What I didn't do, why I made that wrong choice, why I mess this whole situation up why I messed maybe my life up and we become labeled by that I would remind you that we also are labeled by perceived reality remember uh, this, this, I mean this starts early this is in, uh, in grade school and then especially the yearbook the high school yearbook right most likely to succeed, the blah, 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 blah. We just start giving labels. And what happens is not only do we have labels from our own 
behaviors, but we live with labels uh, given to us by others. This can start in the home. A parent who you just never could please. Uh, maybe something happened at school and you got, you got um, laughed at. I'm telling you stuff. This is real. I've been thinking about this week. And you know what I can remember? I can remember stuff like this in school. I can call people out right now. I can say their name. Even in fun, joking with me, calling me a name, how that bothered me for years. You guys are looking at me like I'm (laughs) a pansy. I'm sorry. I know it's true. We take on the labels from this perceived reality of others. They label us. Oh, they're, they're athletic. They're clumsy. They're smart. They're dumb. They're, you see what I mean? I've even read this week where like even they have done research that as soon as you label a student as, um, what is the word they call it? Um, as slow, inevitably their performance will continue to decrease. As soon as you label a student advanced, their performance increases. I, I, I share a lot of stuff. I don't want to. I, I got to move. This is, labels come from perceived reality. What the labels others give us, we live with. I also think of the label of powerful deception that comes from powerful deception. I want to remind you that John 8 lets us know this. The devil, who is over this world right now, uh, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. John spends quite a bit of time in like three chapters referencing stuff about this. But he's introducing us to the reality that not only can we live from the label of perceived reality, the labels of others, but one of the things that the enemy of our soul wants to do is to create labels in our own heart and life. And they're lies. He wants to deceive us into believing things that are not true. John would later say in a couple chapters that his whole mission is to do what? Rob, steal, destroy, kill us. And so often the labels that we take on ourselves The origin of it is the lies and the deception of the enemy of our soul who wants nothing more than us to not believe. Who wants us to grab onto things like we are inadequate. We are this. We are that. There is, okay? 
just sowing those lies into our world. And in our fallen condition, we latch on to them and we just begin to label ourselves. I would remind you that a lie believed as truth will affect you as if it were true. A lie believed as truth will affect you as if it were true. And I have experienced this in my own life and I have talked to I don't know how many people as a pastor who wrestle with this reality. Lies about themselves that are not true but yet because they believe them to be true about themselves they act and live as if it were true. Labels, labels that we put on ourselves because of our identity. I would remind you that John though was saying in the middle of that, that you can know truth and that truth will be what sets you free. I want to remind you, though, that think about labels. Think about the label maker, the labels we have on stuff. Who has the authority to be the label maker? The person that manufactures the good, puts the label on it. The owner and the purchaser. Those people have the authority to make labels. And I want to remind you that Colossians says this. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Paul approached it this way. He spent a few years with a church in Ephesus. He poured his heart and soul into those people. And in the middle of a really rough environment, not conducive to Christianity, a church is started, it springs up, it flourishes. We read that he literally, I mean, just poured himself into that. He has, to, he has to leave there. And because of these people coming out of great darkness into this new light, they're, they're still trying to figure things out. And they're surrounded by this ungodliness all around them. They have lived with certain practices and habits and lifestyles for so long that they're wrestling with what does it look to be a Christ follower. And Paul is left, but he, he's needing, he's understanding the struggle they're going through. He's needing to write back and say, hey, listen, um, you guys need to stop lying to one another. You need to stop stealing from one another. Some of you need to, to stop practicing sexual immorality He's got a lot of things that he needs to continue to teach them, right? And probably some of us, if we would have poured our heart and soul into something and left it and then heard about what's going on, we might have fired off an email, a quick letter saying, hey guys, straighten your act up. What are you doing? Right? Paul approaches it this way when he wrote the book of Ephesians. For three chapters... Instead of saying, hey, line this up, straighten this up, 
do this? Why are you doing this? What is wrong? What are you thinking? He simply takes three chapters to, to, to say, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Where is your identity at? Because if I can get you back to thinking about what your identity is, then the rest of this will make sense for you. And as he begins to write in Ephesians chapter one, he reminds them quickly about things like this. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. One of the first things he wants to remind them is this whole phenomenon of adoption. Now he's talking into an abandonment culture, right? I mean, it was nothing. In fact, the way it went was a baby was born and he was laid at the feet of the father. And if the father decided, hey, I want the baby, great. In that moment, he could say, you know what? I don't think I want another child. Or I don't want this child. And they would take him. I've read this week of places they would take him and the things that they would do. It's just, it's beyond, I can't grab a hold of that in my context but it was an abandonment culture. But yet in the middle of that, as children were abandoned, there was systems in place for people to adopt. And it was a significant thing in that culture. A significant, significant thing. And basically he is reminding them through the image of adoption that would have been so real to them I want you to remember that God chose you. Can you remember that? Can you grab a hold of that? Can you remember that God in his delighted in his pleasure and in his will he chose before the foundation of the world that his plan was always going to be to reach out to people and be willing through his work of all he did to adopt them into his family. He chose you. And that is the image that he wants us to always live with. In the middle of labels of maybe mistake, failure, whatever, average, hardworking, one of the labels that always should be closest to our heart is chosen. Chosen. You have been chosen. You didn't have to fulfill a course and, and work some years and, or give some money or do whatever. Nothing to earn his earn his. His bringing you into the family. He chose to provide the way for you to be in. He chose you. Chosen is a label. But he keeps writing and he says in verse 7, he uses the image of redemption. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. <laughs> Again, a lot of slaves, a lot of, 
a lot of uh, kids that were uh, thrown out, if they weren't adopted, they end up becoming slaves. Powerful pictures in that culture of people being bought out of slavery. And he is reminding us that Jesus not only chose us, but he redeemed us. He purchased us. Just as the, the person who has the authority to put a label is the one who's either an owner, a manufacturer, or the purchaser, Jesus is going to fulfill all of those things for our life. He is the only one who has the authority to label us. And he labels us chosen. He labels us purchased. But he continues on as he's writing this, like, and I think it's pretty much just kind of Paul writing. He didn't have very good um, grammar. He just writes sentences that are like what we call run-on sentences. And, you know, he just keeps writing. And he's writing in Ephesians 4, 4 through 13. It's just like, whoa, are you going to put a period somewhere? You need a few more periods. But he's so excited about what he's sharing and he's saying, listen, I've been chosen. I've purchased you. I've taken you out of your life. I've done what I've paid the, I've paid the price for whatever it was you needed to experience this new thing, forgiveness of sins, new life, this image of redemption. But he also, thirdly, he continues and he reminds him in, in verse 13 this. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. He's saying, listen, I chose you, I purchased you, and I have taken you on. You are mine. You are marked. You know, have you ever watched the movie Gladiator? That's, a, that's an old one, right? Um, you get the concept of Gladiator. If you remember on his, on his arm, he's marked with a tattoo that was signifying who he was owned by. That's what they did in that Roman culture. I tattoo, I brand you, I put a seal on you. You're mine. You are property of this. <laughs> God is in essence saying that I have sealed you. You are mine. I own you. But not in a sense of property, but you're mine in the sense of child of God you're mine these are the labels that he is wanting us to live with close to our heart chosen purchased child and so often the labels that we've put on ourselves, the labels that have come from others, the labels that have been sown by the enemy of our soul. Um, you know what I've been thinking about? It. They're kind of like those labels that they give over at children's department. <laughs> put those things on. You put them on Colby. Put them on the back so he doesn't pull it off. You take off his clothes, or he gets out of his clothes, and and they get thrown in the dirty clothes. You forget that they're there. How many of you have done this? You throw them in the washer, spins them around, and it just, but it still just sticks there. I don't know how many times you got to wash those things to get it off, right? It's awful. I think he still even has some shirts where there's label things. You just kind of give up and say, hey, you just wear that in the house or around the house, right? 
Those labels that we have are like that. They, they stick. They're stubborn. In fact, sometimes they're, they're, they're lifelong struggles. And yet I want to remind you that in the middle of those labels, he still tells us, calls us to realize that we're chosen, we're purchased, we're his, we're a child of God. And I want to remind you of this verse before we go. Paul was dealing with some issues in his own personal life. He probably could have made some labels for himself. And he said this, I prayed the Lord would deal with this in my life and he three times and he didn't. And he said the Lord revealed this to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And I've been thinking about the words of that verse. Literally, if you think about the words of that verse, you would see things like this. Uh, next slide, Kalen. Go ahead. There's this word charis, grace, my grace, unmerited favor, divine influence upon a heart. There's the word for sufficient, eliminating a barrier. It's exactly enough. My power is made perfect, dunamis, explosive, miraculous power. The word for completely fulfilled, my power is made complete, is made perfect. It's completely fulfilled in your weakness. That word weakness is the word for brokenness. And I wish we would read this verse this way. God's divine influence is exactly enough to meet your every need. For his explosive, miraculous power is made completely perfect in you when you are broken before him. And I just want to remind you of this. A label may describe you, but your identity in Christ defines you. And I know today I'm talking to people with labels. I knew when I did that that I would get all sorts of labels. We're labeled. We just, that's what we do. Our identity, who am I? We put that out in labels. And I just want to remind you today that God calls us to see who we are in him. But he also recognizes, I believe, that in our humanity, we struggle with these things. Ongoing struggles. Labels that are stubborn and sticky. And hard to remove. It's amazing. I've talked to people who, have, who could tell you they're 70 years old. They can recount, this happened in my life 50 years ago, and I still struggle recovering from it. It's labeled me. And I just want to remind you today in this new year, who you are, who you, who you are, and who you see yourself is huge in this year. Would you see yourself as chosen, purchased, his child? Allow those labels to move close to the heart. And then would you allow the Holy Spirit 
his grace to allow you to just be open and transparent and vulnerable before him. Say, God, I'm struggling with this area of my life. This label. And I seemingly can't get rid of it or I seemingly, I just need your grace to be sufficient. I'm broken over it. But I read that your grace is sufficient. Your power is made perfect in my weakness. And allow your identity to continue to be reset by him. So I've asked Ben to sing this song today. I truly hope that the words of this song sink in with us as we go from this. My prayer is, Lord, reset our identity. Reset our identity. Go ahead. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed. His grace is greater still. And all of your wrong choices. Well, he is full of mercy. And he is ever kind. Here is invitation. His arms are open wide Well, you can come as you are With all your broken pieces All your shameful scars The pain you hold in your heart Bring it all to Jesus Well, you can come Bring it all to 
Father, we live with labels. Lord, my prayer simply is today that you would remind us that you have labels for us. Those are the real labels. Those are the ones that are true. And Lord, you promise to give us strength and grace as we try to figure out and deal with the other labels that we struggle with maybe from our own choices, maybe from the perception of others, the lies sown by the enemy always in our heart. Lord, our prayer is simply today that we would be willing to be broken of those things before you and just continue to bring them to you. Not, I need to fix that label myself, or I, I need to, but just, Lord, I, this is the label I have. You've promised that your Holy Spirit will provide grace for us to remove those labels from our lives, to allow us to not be overcome by labels in our lives to realize that in you we have grace that's sufficient for us. So Lord, speak to each heart in whatever way you do. May our identity rest completely in whose we are and who we are in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week.